Strengthen your immune system with Goldman Laboratories Liposomal Vitamin C and get 10% off. Quote 10 off at goldmanlaboratories.com. Hi, this is Steve Roost and you're listening to Health Tech Hour on UK Health Radio. Each week we give you the best news, views and interviews from the health technology world. From CEOs and founders to entrepreneurs and clinicians, the companies and people that are shaping the future face of healthcare. All on the world's number one talk health radio. Hello and welcome to Health Tech Hour on UK Health Radio. My name is Steve Roost and each week we bring you the best news, views and interviews with CEOs of tech company myself and I am passionate about the people and companies who are changing the world. Today sees us return to the area of mental health, specifically in the workplace. So our guest today is Dr. Nick Taylor, the CEO and founder of Unmind, which is one of the largest workplace mental health providers in the world. Unmind aims to change the way organizations think about mental health, and they have offices in the US, the UK, and Australia. It's available to over 350,000 workers and counting, and they have some of the largest brands in the world who are using their services like British Airways, John Lewis, and Just Eat. Unmind service has never been more important as we emerge from the pandemic, and they recently released a survey of employers which found that 65% of employers believe that mental health issues relating to COVID would negatively impact their business in the next 12 months. Um, mental health issues in the same report, it said mental health issues are also the largest cause of absenteeism in workplaces. So for both employees and employers, Unmind is performing a hugely critical role. And as anyone listening to the show knows, I'm a huge supporter of services designed to support mental health. I'm a huge believer in spending time looking after mental health through whatever means is necessary. And so I'm really excited to get Nick on the show and ask him some questions. So Nick, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. And thank you for having me uh, on the show today. Great. Um, how has Unmind fared during the pandemic? What has the mood been like in the camps? I know that you've, you've grown phenomenally over the last 12 to 18 months. And so, but, but yeah, how, how has it been? Uh, it's, I mean, it's been probably in some ways similar to what others have felt and maybe in some ways a little bit different. Uh, when the pandemic first hit i think like like all organizations we were deeply concerned by what the implications would be as an organization um uh, and then from a professional perspective in terms of what we do we were deeply concerned by what was going on from the perspective of mental health um and what became apparent over the first uh kind of period when when we were getting used to the this covid world was that actually um far from organizations saying We've got to button down the hatches, cut all spend, and um, just get through this crisis. Organizations took a different view, which was now more than ever, we need to be investing in the well-being of our employees because of the unprecedented pressure they're going to be under. Um, And and as you can imagine, therefore, uh, Unmind has been exceptionally busy over this period as we have supported more and more companies uh, to empower their employees to take proactive care of their mental health. 
Well, there's a lot that we're going to get into. So as anyone listening to the show will know, we do it in three parts. The first is sort of an origins part, um, where you came from and how you've, been do- how you've got to be doing what you're doing now. The middle part is all of the amazing stuff that you're doing now with Unmind to change the world. And then the final part is around what's next, either for Unmind or more just in general. So um, how, lo- how long had you, be- had you been working in the NHS before you came up with the idea for Unmind? So I think if I go back a little bit before then, even I've, I've more or less always been interested in the topic of mental health, or at least as long as I can remember. I grew up with three sisters and my middle sister, Jessica, is Down syndrome. And, and uh, for, for Catherine and Anna, my other two sisters and I growing up with Jessica, we were aware from a very young age that people could be different um, and be treated differently by the society around them. Um, and, and I think Jessica really impacted my interest in what, what does it mean to be human and what are the defining characteristics of that experience. Fast forward about 20 or so years and I did my undergrad degree in classical music and was a volunteer with the Samaritans, um, which I found really rewarding, as I think many people do who do that, that voluntary work. When I graduated, I started working for the mental health charity Mind as a support worker in Herefordshire, working with people with severe and enduring mental illnesses, such as Corsica syndrome, schizophrenia, bipolar, and people who required 24-7 care uh, mm. because the severity of their mental ill health is so significant that they require support workers with more of the time. And it was during that experience that I was supervised by a clinical psychologist. And and it was the clinical psychologist who named Peter who helped us as, as support workers know how to better support the people we were working with. And he inspired me to go back to university, do a degree in psychology and a doctorate in clinical psychology before then going into the National Health Service. And I was in the NHS for uh, all, of my, all of that experience of being an assistant psychologist, being a clinical psychology doctoral training psychologist and then being a qualified clinical psychologist um, so that, that that whole period is about six years um, and then also became a visiting lecturer at organizations like University College London and the Institute of Psychiatry uh, teaching doctoral and undergrad students in mental health so there were quite a long period mm. um, in which I was professionally working before leaving to, to co-found online. And what um, within that period of time did you focus on anything particular particularly in those six years where you were working well, you know, you were moving, having moving through to full qualification. Did you focus on any particular areas of mental health? So one of the defining characteristics of clinical psychology training is that um, it, like, clinical psychology as a profession takes a lifespan approach. So you have to understand the human experiences changing across mm-hmm. periods of your life. Um, so clinical psychologists are always taught to and trained to support people from birth to death. Um, so I've worked across services from very young children in, in hospital through to older adult services as well. Um, I was always fascinated by the work in learning disabilities because um, obviously growing up with Jessica as a sister, um, it was a topic I was very passionate about. How can you bring equality um, to people with learning intellectual disabilities and support them to live fulfilling uh, and whole lives in society? Okay. And w- at what point did you come up with the idea for Unmind and, and sort of how did that, not, not necessarily w- when it was fixed, but these things generally come, they're, they're sort of cumulative. Well, that, that's in my experience is sort of things, certain things happen over a period of time, they accumulate and then suddenly you sort of think, oh my goodness, there might actually be something in, in, in this. 
Um, and then that then at that point, it might be an epiphany or there might be some other external sort of motivation that pushes you to go and do that. But what was that kind of accumulation period? Is that what happened with you or was it slightly different? No, I think I think that's about about right. So it was a, um, I guess, a couple of things. And, and as I imagine, relate, you, you might be able to relate to this. There are lots of little events that ultimately give you those aha moments. Um, but the, I guess the, from a clinical perspective, there were there were things happening, and then from a leader perspective in the NHS, there were things happening in my mind as well. Now I'll start with the, the latter. So as a, a senior psychologist in, in the team, I was part of a management team responsible for supervising um, a team of people in in our NHS service, and I witnessed firsthand the impact that the workplace was having on the well-being of our staff and felt ill-equipped as a manager to adequately support our employees uh, to manage their mental health, mm. and particularly to manage it proactively. So I firsthand saw the impact that mental illness had on absenteeism, presenteeism, and staff turnover, and also in culture building and hiring great people. But then from a clinical perspective, um, I guess two things uh, frustrated me. The first was that, sadly, to this day, I can tell you, I have never met anyone at the right time on their journey towards mental ill health. Okay. I've only ever sat down as a therapist and thought, I wish I'd met this person six months or nine months or 12 months or 18 months before when the problem really started. But, but I've never done that. And what that speaks to really is the fact that when it comes to accessing treatment for mental health problems, very rarely if ever do people get the right care at the right time. And, mm. and that's a massive problem because what we know across all health provision is that right care at the right time results in the right health outcome yeah so if you miss that timing piece you, you miss the opportunity to provide the most valuable care and that's obviously very frustrating for health systems because then you're operating inefficiently but even yeah. more frustrating for the person who's not getting the right care at the right time well um, and, so and particularly within mental health if if that's mistimed then then the consequences can be very very severe very, very serious if that person then does, if that intervention doesn't happen at the right time and that person may then deteriorate for various reasons. That's right. And um, I think that's absolutely right. And, and actually, mental health is on a spectrum um, and you move steadily down or up that spectrum depending on what's going on in your life. Um, but all of our focus historically has been on the bottom end of the spectrum, so reactive health care. The final frustration for me was that we don't focus on prevention and, and it doesn't make sense to me why we don't. We're so good at prevention in other areas of healthcare. You know, we teach our, I've got three young children and we teach them with very limited success in my experience, by the, <laughs> about the age of one to brush their teeth. Right. Um, and, um, and and that's because we know prevention is better than cure. We know intuitively in dental health, that's the case. In physical health, even in the height of lockdown, we were able to go running for an yeah. hour a day because we know prevention is so important to good health. But with mental health, it's been a bit in the dark ages and all our focus has been on reactive and, care. And that really frustrated me. And it was that is that because um, that was to take a slight tangent. But, um, you know, I'm a big believer in therapy and, 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 you know, I've been seeing a clinical psychologist off and on for a number of years for various things. And she's she's fantastic. So her and I often have, you know, varying sort of conversations about things. And then um, one of her issues or, or beliefs is, is exactly the same as, as what you're saying. And her view is that whether i don't know if you whether you believe this or not but that um there's been a huge huge amount of focus within um clinical psychology within research around problems and not necessarily as much research around sort of positivity so it's all around 
what the treating conditions that have happened as opposed to preventing things happening in the first place but i don't know whether Abs- you do. that, that's absolutely that. right that's absolutely right i mean I, I think clinical psychologists are trained to study the problem set more than they are trained to study and understand the, the preventative side and but that speaks to how healthcare system healthcare yeah. system trains and operates its people um so the, the real aha moment for me was I went down to South Africa with um, my family and I was uh, I bumped into by chance an old friend of mine who uh, or current friend of mine, but I hadn't seen for a long time. I'd known him for a long time. And I said, what are you doing at the moment? He said, I'm working with a guy who runs mindfulness courses in Johannesburg for corporates. Okay. And at that moment, it was like, OK, that that's that's what I want to do. I want to take this idea of preventative mental health mm. into the workplace because organizations are so well positioned to bring about this change in mindset around mental health. They're so yeah. well positioned because they've got this captive audience of people who they can empower to behave in particular ways. Um, and that was when I made the decision to leave. And is, the there, is there also something in it because of the way that I don't know about any other, how mental health provision works in any other country, I must confess. And I don't know a huge amount about it in the UK, but I, it, it seems like in the UK, you, you might have to have a, a, a sort of a, a diagnosis almost before you go and see someone or some kind of referral. And is that why that ends up being too far down the chain? Whereas actually by within a workplace, you have those people there, like you say, all of the time effectively. So you're more able to move up the timeline, so to speak, more towards the preventative end. Yeah, I, th- I think maybe that that's, that's part of it. And and the, the, the diagnostic system that we have, i.e. like clinical depression, anxiety, the that system is so helpful to help to understand people's presentations, but also mm. incredibly helpful because it protects and safeguards limited resource of reactive services. There are only so many psychiatrists, psychologists, mental health nurses, social workers to meet the enormous need within society. And therefore you have to have some sort of arbitrary cutoff yeah. to safeguard the services, right? So yeah. what we do is we wait for people to get to a level of unwellness and yeah. then they can access that care. That's fine. And that's, that's a good system given all the resources that we have. But it's not the perfect system. We don't just get mental health when we get unwell. We have mental health from the moment we're born to the moment we die. It's literally with us the entire time. And every every human being on on Earth right now has mental health. Every human being who has ever existed has had mental health for their entire life. So far from being a topic that you should think about for the, say, one in four, one in five people who have got a mental ill health, problem it's a topic we should think about with the five and five because we all have it all of the time so that then leads to the well how do you do that and what does yeah. that really mean and that's why digital is so important in mm-hmm. this topic because there aren't enough psychologists yeah so you can't rely on them there aren't enough coaches you can't rely on them you have to leverage digital to scale up it's well, like and, a- and also you, you need digital to provide that service at a cost that's acceptable to the person that's going to receive that. So in the, in the case of, well, you, you obviously do it through an employer. So it's, I guess it's free to the employees, but um, it needs to be at a cost level that means it can be scaled. Otherwise it, it, it just won't go anywhere. Exactly. That's exactly right. It's a bit like toothbrushes and dent- dental health is a brilliant thing to compare. You know, yeah, that's the second, that's the second comparison. It's, so Because it's so obvious when you start comparing it, you're like, Oh, that makes sense. You know, if you compare, you know, the, the cost of, root canal treatment you know that that is you know thousands of pounds because it's complicated to the cost of buying a toothbrush yeah and a pack of tooth toothpaste it's yeah. much cheaper much simpler and much more scalable you don't need a dentist with you every time you brush your teeth nope no you don't no 
So think uh, about that in relation to mental health. You don't need a psychologist with you every time you're working no, on mental health. No, and, and, and actually I would imagine in a way that, well, for, for like you say, the five and five, that might be somewhat off-putting to be, yeah. To, be, yeah. to be only able to engage with your mental health if you were actually sat down with a psychologist. I, that would be burdensome, I would, I would suggest. Um, I think so. But, but, you know, back to you, I mean, on this one, it's, it's really interesting, isn't it? Because as a community now of mental of health care start health startups there is this really wonderful trend towards prevention and yep. towards understanding problems much earlier which i know is something you're very passionate yep. about and that that's so exciting because i think there is an opportunity with innovation to to shift the way in which societies think about what great healthcare should look like yeah digital health provision digital health services make prevention a, a, a reality really because it allows it allows the services to be provided scalably and it, it means that those services can be delivered directly to the people that actually need them in a way that they will actually use them as opposed to you know you know in, in our world where we Doc is focused on allowing people to give themselves a cardiovascular disease risk assessment just using their smartphone and our tests and we're looking at diabetes and a number of other things you know it, it's, it's no longer enough to just put a poster up in the doctor's surgery and sort of say you know eat healthy you know that and, and similarly there are huge cohorts of people that need to be reached that are at risk um, and there are nice pathways and things like that about how to reach them but if you're not able to do that digitally then there's a huge limit to that so um, that's that's what we've and, and as you say prevention if you can get prevention right then it has huge benefits not just for the, the individual obviously but also at a macro level for the healthcare system um, absolutely huge, that's absolutely right reductions in cost you know it can we can reallocate we can reallocate resources to things that you know where prevention doesn't necessarily help like like quite a lot of cancer and things like that so yeah it's it's yeah makes so much sense but, but, but you know that the, com- the complicated thing about mental health is just how complicated people's minds are well they're each that, mind is different it's completely unique by definition that's right. So, so we at our mind we talk about mental health as a whole person topic. So, so you've got to think about some some of these mental health as being their psychological life. So that's their personality type. That's their core beliefs about the world. That's uh, you know, how do they interpret the world around them. Yeah. Then you think about it from their social, you know, their their social perspective, which is how do they. Uh, what's their workplace? What's their home life? What's their yeah. finances? What's their family network? What's their friend network? Mm-hmm. And then you think about it from a physical perspective, which is, you know, what is their age, their gender, their disease status, their yeah. how well do they sleep? What's their nutrition? What's their exercise fitness? All of these things uniquely put us on the mental health spectrum. And mm-hmm. each of those, that in, in healthcare language, that's the biopsychosocial model I've just described, yeah. that, that, that are, we each are uniquely informed by our biopsychosocial reality Bi- um, bi- biopsychosocial reality biopsychosocial okay. reality which is just okay. the reality of living yeah it's just the reality of your life okay. as defined by your biological physical life as defined by your social life okay. as defined by your psychological uh, your, your 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 psychological life so it's it's those three things together but human beings are complicated we think about the meaning of life we think about purpose we think about meaning these are really complicated topics and they are interpretation of our circumstance, they are interpretation of our own life, our understanding of our life informs our emotional health. Mm. So it is really complicated. Well, and, it's and, fluid but, as well. This, and it's fluid. And it's a topic that we've grappled with forever. 
Yeah. You know, if you look at the world's religions, if you look at mm -hmm. ancient Greek philosophy, if you yeah. look at what art, the arts have been doing, it's trying to explain and describe the human experience. Yeah. So much of what they are doing, particularly if we go back to Greek philosophy, that is about like, um, that is, so much of that period of philosophy is about well-being. Like, how do you, how do you live a good life? Are we talking about Stoicism, like Zeno, Citium, and you know, right. and Epictetus, and all that chap, all those guys? What? A great, that's amazing the way you just rolled those off the tongue. Exactly. So that it's, it's no, that I'm a, group. I'm a, I'm a huge, huge believer in 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 that as well. You know, um, in 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 that philosophy, and and but but you're right. It's 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 a way. It's every humans have always been trying to find it, almost like a a, a, a filter to understand the world and understand their experience in the world. And that in that informs our emotional well-being, but, the, but that's where the different. That's where the, the dental analogy breaks down, because yeah. our, fundamentally yeah. our brains are more complicated than yeah, our teeth. teeth. But, but and it's a bit like I, I'm not a great car person, but I imagine if you and I've never had the luxury of owning a very high-performance car. Mine have been at the other end of the spectrum. But I imagine if you own a very high-performance car, it's wonderful to drive, but it also requires an awful lot of care and attention. And what human beings are gifted with is a brain, which is the performance car of the animal kingdom. And therefore, we've got to ma manage and maintain it well. And if we're making time to brush our teeth, if we're making time to run, we've got to make time to look after our brains. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you on the car analogy. I, I have three small children, so I drive a Seat Alhambra, um, you know, m minivan from 2011 or something. So, I, but yeah, I, I take the, I take the point. So, just to go back to your, your, your kind of epiphany moment when you're in South Africa, you, you heard about the mindfulness courses at, at corporations, and you thought, aha, how did you? Because it's still quite a big leap from mindfulness courses at corporations to what Unmind is today, which is this global digital workplace mental health platform so how, how did that kind of move happen because you could have very easily gone down a route of just being a one one man band doing mindfulness courses at corporations yeah uh, it was always something that frustrated me as a clinician as I'd sit in a therapy room and I would say something to somebody which seemingly would have a big impact on that person. Okay. Like in a, a way they would interpret it or whatever the information, yeah. or they go, oh, I wish I'd known that before. And I used to yeah. think to myself, why don't people know that before? Yep. Because actually from a psychological perspective, that's not very complicated. And it used to kind of slightly make, it used to fill me with a bit of anxiety, if I'm honest. The notion of spending the rest of my career saying the same thing to individual people, the scalability of that is simply like how many people can go, get in a room over the course of my professional life. And that felt yeah. unsatisfying. Yeah. So I was like, how do we get that information scale? So the ambition for me was always like, how do we scale up this information? We shouldn't, it shouldn't be necessary to train somebody for, you know, let's say the average clinical psychologist trains for maybe seven years. Mm. To train someone of seven years to give a piece of information to somebody after a nine-month waiting list, which fundamentally is really basic, that's yeah. not a very good model. No, so I mean, like, that's, so, yeah, that's not, that's not so, scalable. So, that's really? not scalable. That's not scalable. So how do you create that scalability where you leverage digital? So digital for me was always key to this. Like we okay. could leverage it. So, so that, was work... the, that was that was in that that was in the plan from 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 you know day dot. From day one. So day yeah. dot. So so workplace was always in the plan because that that was where the frustration was for me as a manager. Mm. And I saw the opportunity there. Digital was there from day one. I'm deeply passionate about the science. So you've got this is a this is a, there's a good reason 
that mental philosophy emerged into psychology and it became a science mm-hmm. because the scientific method works really well for creating evidence which is yeah. valuable for yeah. all sorts of reasons you 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 will know yeah. and the listeners will know so i was always deeply passionate about the the content being scientific and the measurement being scientific or mm-hmm. maybe come on to measurement later yeah so um, i know that's a big thing for you you know you're, you're you've kind of you made a few statements which is you know what's measured is managed which i know is exactly on mine's kind of big big ethos is that's right. And then the, the final piece was prevention. So those were the four pillars that we had. Right. Um, and as, as it happened, one of the guys working with this, this person running the, um, the mindfulness sessions in South Africa was uh, the, one of the lead content creators for those programs called Steve okay. Peralta. And he went on to become one of my co-founders of the business. And he okay. had also articulated the same problem. He's actually a wellness coach. So he had trained oh, and qualified on the other end of the spectrum Okay. To brought all that wealth of knowledge with him. And he now leads all the content creation on the platform, works okay. with leading authors, academics, and clinicians around the world to create the content for us. Um, and and then we needed a technical co-founder. So we found a technical co-founder um, to join on board. And then a, a, te- a, and then a, a co-founder who had taken the, the journey before building startups and uh, also knew the HR benefit space. So we built this kind of... Okay core team to begin with right. and one of my very best friends had um, recently scaled up a venture capital business um, selling mattresses and I'd been aware through kind of casual conversations of how the venture capital world works and um, so I had a fra- even though I had no training or background in this topic I had a framework at least a, a semblance yeah. of an understanding of how this kind of works to raise money to build platforms and things yeah but looking back from where we stand today to where we were then, I mean, it was uh, it, 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 there was so much we didn't know. Um, okay. So it's been an interesting journey. But we built that core team, and that allowed us to then kickstart it. That makes almost five that makes years sense. ago. And so, um, how did you? What, what was the what was the process um, that you went through of coming up with the content? So the reason I ask is that we've had. Um, no, no, we haven't had a specific. Well, we've had, we had um, Kate Newhouse, who's um, CEO of um, Couth. We also, um, and they're focused on um, young adult mental health services provided by local authorities. They also do some adult stuff, but but it's majority under under eighteen, I believe, or under twenty fives. Um, and then we've also had one of the founders of um, an app called Smoke Free on. And so the reason I'm interested in the content and how you've come up with the content is because the provision of content digitally is partly about the actual content. And then there's partly about how you communicate that content, whether it's just static content, whether it's part of a, some kind of engagement, whether there's, you know, notifications or challenges or goals or, you know, and, and, and both of those things are really, really important and they have to work together. So what was that kind of like to begin with? Cause you could have very easily just put together a very static program that had all of the really great content in it, but that might not necessarily have had the right impact. I always thought that um, if, if you consider within the NHS or most healthcare systems, if not all, uh, to provide gold standard care, you need a multidisciplinary team. Um, okay. And the reason for that is that each member of the healthcare professions has a different lens by which they interpret the patient or the client or the person you're working with. Um, so a, a medical doctor will think about it differently to a nutritionist, to yeah. a psychiatrist, to a social, social worker, et cetera. So we used to talk when we founded our mind, and this principle still maintained, it's still is true today. We needed a multidisciplinary team 2.0. Okay. 
So okay. you, you need your clinicians, you need your academics, but you also need your product developers, you also need yep. your designers, you also need your copywriters. You, the reality is we live in a Netflix, uh, Netflix age and yep. people need content to be engaging. I mean, yep. we all need content to be engaging. I'm sitting through a boring video. I still have memories of, um, so it ages me a bit, but sitting watching my chemistry teacher struggling to get a VHS to play and then you yep. watch this kind of crackly old video of somebody trying to explain something and it's so boring. It's unbelievable. Yeah. We can't do that anymore. And mental health has been so um, limited in budget and and uh, engulfed by stigma for such a long yeah. time that um, it's behind the curve when you when you compare the way mental health things are positioned to physical or dental health, particularly in prevention. It's it's talk and cheese, or at least was over the last uh, few years ago. Mm. What I mean, like if, if you buy a pack of Colgate toothpaste, it's beautifully presented. It's wonderful. If you go into yeah. Nike Town, like oh. it's it's such a, an amazing Unbelievable experience, dimension. right? Yeah. Isn't it wonderful? Everything yeah. looks perfect and beautiful. Mental health needs to keep up with with the Joneses here a little bit. We need to make sure that we are as a professional group positioning this topic in a world-class way because it is really a wonderfully exciting topic but it just yeah. needs to be carefully presented so when back to your original question we were passionate about the branding of, of what we were doing like if you i think today even if you google mental health you'll get a black and white image of someone holding their head in their hands yeah. and um, I, I've, I've met many people as a clinician. I've never met anyone in black and white. So I don't know at what point we thought that <laughs> characterized the topic well. Um, but, but, so we need to move away from that and, and then position it in a more aspirational way because aspirational things motivate people. Yeah. And, and yeah. that's a, we need to be more motivational in the way we position mental health yeah. topics. But we've worked, we've done so much learning over the last five years about how to do it well. And it's surprisingly difficult to create content that is engaging for five minutes. Yeah, I'm, 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 well, that's why I asked because I think that people, well, I say people generalize, but people under, I mean, we're, 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 we're a digital health platform combination of a, you know, a test chip and an app that, that does a risk assessment. And so we grapple with these things as well. And it's actually really, really hard to try and figure out the right user interface, the right user experience. And we're, we're not necessarily trying to do it in a, well, anywhere like as interactive as your services because we're, we're providing people with inf- a very limited set of information it's not necessarily so much of a back and forwards um with, with, with ours but yeah it must I, I think it must be really hard that's sort of why I ask because the the right content displayed in the wrong way won't have the right impact if that makes 100%. sense 100 I, I could I, I used to go into Foyle's bookshop in London and stand in the wellness section and okay. I don't know if, you, if you've ever done that, but that in, the, in the mental health section. Is that, is that Foils? Is that the one in Soho? Is that where? Yeah, that? that's right. Yeah. Tottenham Court Road or wherever. Yeah. That's it. Um, Chase the Chancros or Yeah, around. Yeah. Exactly. And, um, and you stand there and you're just surrounded by thousands of books. And I used to stand there and think, I bet all of these books are brilliant in their own way. Yeah. But who's got time to read them? And, yeah. You know, how do we con- we live in such a busy world yep. and I, I, i've also got three young children i i'm lucky if i've got time to have a bottle of cereal in the morning you know yeah, so no, we can't okay. we can't say to people read the books uh, because people don't have the time um so you've got to condense information make sure it's scientifically really brilliant mm. but using language that's engaging because you, again you can't just use very you've got to adapt things to work in a practical world no matter you could do the best randomized control trial in the world but if it's not in a comparable real world environment it's useless yeah agreed 
So you've got to create something that will work in the real world. Well, and especially and that's, the, that's the art. And is there an element where um, we'll get we'll get on to exactly because I'd really like you to take me through the, the you know, walk me through how Unmind works from an employee perspective. But just one more question before we do that, because you're focusing on workplaces, is, is there even more sensitivity that you have to display around the, the trade off between people using your app and the fact that they need to work, if that makes sense? Like that, that like, is, is there a discussion that happens, obviously, because you can't. You, you, do you see what I'm sort of, sort of guess at? Because you can't. I, if I was an employer, I, I would be. I would want my employees to be healthy and to use the app, but I wouldn't want them sat there on the app all day because the app is so addictive. They just are on the app all the time. But I don't know. We if were that's always it. We were always quite passionate about not trying to create kind of um, you know the social media of mental right. health. That's never right. been our ambition. Right. Um, and and I don't think that. Um, with even with, the, with if you you know totally cracked it from a product perspective, you would ever even get to a place where people used it all day, every okay. day, obsessively, right? I don't think even people do that with their Instagram or Facebook. But no. but I I um I I don't I we have not seen a reluctance or an anxiety from employers about empowering their employees to look Great. after their mental health using the online That's platform. Awesome. We've seen a huge appetite for it, and we've seen particularly in the UK, which I think is one of the world's most progressive countries when it comes to preventative mental health care, mm-hmm. such an incredible acceptance of the model or, or uh, understanding of the premise from the offset without right. a huge need for descriptions. And that has changed over, you know, if you compare the market today to five years ago, there's a very big difference. And I think we're seeing that now repeated throughout the world. Yeah. Australia is another great example of a country that's very progressive when it comes to preventative mental health care. And these countries that are, I think you put Canada in the same bucket, tend to have a more holistic healthcare system and a less mm-hmm. medicalized psychiatric system. Because okay. if you have a highly medicalized psychiatric system, the, the default language is diagnostic. Yeah. And the, yeah. the limitation of diagnostic language is it doesn't lend itself well to preventative approaches. No, because it kind of excludes all those people that don't get to that bout, that don't, that don't quite get to the diagnostic threshold. Yeah, absolutely. And if you think about coming back to your earlier point about clinical psychologists maybe not being well qualified in prevention, I think you you could probably say the same about medics, right? It's okay. a, a, about health, but in, in terms of medics are qualified and and wonderful at working with problems. It's not their default position to focus on prevention. Yeah, that makes sense. So. Let, walk me through as an employee what happens when my company signs up to unmind so uh, when you sign up to the platform as a company we our client success team then work very closely with the organization to plan a launch of unmind and we'll okay. often try and tie that around a particular thing that's going on in the company it might okay. be a wellness week it might be right. a or, or hand type meeting um and uh, we will plan that, but then we'll launch it and inform all the employees in the organization. They now have free access to the online platform. And so to the, the, you know, they can gift a free license to their loved one as well. Oh, that's nice. Um, really important, coming back yeah. to that social idea of our mental health. It's informed by our loved ones as much as it is by us. Um, and then they'll be invited to either access the platform on a web-enabled device or download the app, either as iOS or Android, onto their phones yeah. and create an account. And there are different okay. ways you can create an account based on how the organization is structured and operates. Um, okay. But they create, they create an account um, and then they come into the platform. The first thing people are invited to do is to do an assessment called the Unmind Index. 
And that's an assessment that we have built in-house. Uh, and we've collaborated with some incredible people at organizations such as UCL and University of Cambridge to create the Unmind Index. And the reason we built our own one was that when you look at the typical assessment, ways to assess mental health in the diagnostic world, there measures like the PHQ-9 for depression, the GAD-7 yeah. for anxiety. And they're such good clinical tools, but they are designed to diagnose or help in the diagnosis of clinical depression or yes. a form of anxiety. They're not fundamentally designed to be used with a well population. And when we looked at the current measures already in existence, what we found was that the, the, the most amount of work had gone into quality of life tools in preventative mental health. And, okay. and quality of life is not a construct that sits well within the medical framework. So you end up with essentially a different paradigm you're working into okay. the healthcare system. And that, that's okay. jarring. So yeah. we wanted to create an assessment tool that gave people insight into how their mental health is without asking them negative questions. You know, okay. the, the PHQ-9 will ask questions that are quite negatively skewed because it's clearly looking for depressive like, symptoms. Like what? Uh, like what's a negatively skewed question, roughly? Well, I, 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 have you had thoughts of harming or, or okay. killing yourself? Okay. Which is not an appropriate question to ask a well person that just wants to maintain their mental health. Yeah, yeah. And it's in, quite a work, in a workplace context, I can see questions like that as the, you know, the first interaction with the service are going to be a little bit kind of... And then straight away you delete the app. Exactly. <laughs> so so, so we, we created our own tool that still had that same level of clinical validity, mm-hmm. but it gives people insight into how they're doing across that biological, psychological and social parts of their mental health based on their unique scores in things like happiness, coping, calmness, fulfillment, sleep. They're then signposted to content on the platform that's going to be most helpful to them based on the idea of the right care at the right time. And that content is delivered either as uh, tools, which you can use on an ad hoc basis. So, for example, tools to help you fall asleep, tools to help you focus, tools to help you um, relax, or learning and development programs, which we call series, which are um, typically between about three days and a couple of weeks to complete delivered in bite-sized chunks of video, audio, and interactive elements, drawing all of the content draws, loosely speaking, on cognitive behavioral therapy and its various iterations, neuroscience, positive psychology, mindfulness, those type of topics. Um, and we create that content with world-leading authors, academics, and clinicians. Um, so the people that, when you go into Foyle's bookshop, and you look at all those wonderful yeah. books, they're the people we work with to create yep. the content on, on, on the platform. Um, and we measure the effectiveness of those programs, those series programs okay. I'm talking about. Um, so we can demonstrate the efficacy of them as well. And you can, you can complete those over throughout the day. They take no more than a couple of minutes to okay. complete. I did, I'm doing one today uh, at the moment. I did my session on earlier today about mindfulness for stress, which we collaborated with a Buddhist monk called Chodan to create which is incredible and really teaching me so much actually about okay. how to apply mindfulness on day-to-day basis really valuable mm-hmm. um so there's that's the content on the platform but then also there's a social component where you can send praise to loved ones or to colleagues or to friends for behaviors okay. that are known to be good for mental health so okay. collaboration humor trust things like that okay. um, and then also we will uh, we will bring together all of the services available to an employee within their organization or geography so they can also access those if they need additional support because obviously unmind is a preventative tool we'll also signpost to your uh, reactive services or or local healthcare systems as well to help um people navigate the system more easily because it's complicated often to find the right care at the right time and we want to get yeah. rid of that complexity 
Um, so that's an overview of the Unmind okay. platform. There's also a mood diary that you can use to check in. So there's quite a lot of different things. Yeah, it's designed for a diverse population of people, making sure there's something for everyone. And do you take a view that, um, do, do you, because there's a lot there that people could interact with. There's a lot of different things. And do you sort of leave people to, to sort of move through it as they might wish to after they've done their index and you sort of signpost them? Or is there a guided way through it or, or not, not so much? It's, it's a mix. There's different user personas that we have, and some people will be guided on particular journeys. Others will be quite self-guiding off their own journey. Okay. And um, you've, I know that one of the big ethos is within Unmind, and you just mentioned it there, is around measurement, measuring efficacy. So how do you go about measuring the efficacy of, of whether it's the series or whether it's the app in general? Or how, how, how have you done that? The, the, it's, it, the purpose of Unmind is not to perpetually be improving somebody's mental health. The, the reality is, um, it, it, we could someone could on Friday do an Unmind index, on Saturday win the national lottery, and on Monday do the Unmind index, and their scores <laughs> could massively go up. And we could say, well, isn't Unmind a brilliant platform? Um, right. Equally, somebody on Friday could do the Unmind index, and on Saturday lose a loved one, um, right. and then on Monday do it again, and you could say, well, Unmind's a dreadful platform. That, right. That's not the point. The point of the online index is to give people an understanding of how they're doing with their mental health, because yeah. that empowers them to then think, well, that area needs a bit of work. I'll focus on that. Mm-hmm. With, so, so that's the purpose of the index and making sure that's scientifically rigorous. So we have a peer reviewed paper uh, being published in the near oh, future, demonstrating the efficacy of that as an assessment tool. Oh. Um, and and, and so very excited about that. Validating is a gold really standard great. measure. Yeah, very exciting. But then with the, each of the individual series on the platform, depending on what the series is doing, we also have um, measurement around that to demonstrate whether or not it's incre- increasing people's awareness and understanding of the topic. Is it helping, let's say it's a, a, a series around lifting your mood. Is it actually effective? Is it, is it actually doing that? And we, we have our own in-house science and research team constantly reviewing and assessing the efficacy of what we're doing. And also we have formal collaborations with a number of leading uni- universities um, to do independent research on the platform as well. Measurement is so important and it's key that the preventative world of mental health is as scientifically rigorous as the reactive end of the mental health yeah. uh, service provision as well. And um, what are the things that, that um, imp- what are the, well, maybe metrics is the wrong word, but how are employers um, valuing Unmind's impact on their workforce? So, so Unmind, we define ourselves to organizations as a workplace mental health platform, and we bring value in two ways. The first is that we empower the employees to manage the mental health in the way that we've just been discussing. The second is that we aggregate and anonymize, and that anonymity is key, the data from the platform into mm-hmm. a dashboard so that organizations get unprecedented insight into how their people are. And using that data, that allows them then to make informed strategic investments in the well-being of their people in a way that they've never been able to before. Because traditional data that organizations have around the mental wellness of their people is based on access of employee assistance programs, yeah. access to private medical care if that's available, um, absenteeism data. That data is either scarce or highly unreliable mm-hmm. um, and is not very valuable when you're trying to make a strategic investment for the five and five, not the one and five. So yeah. OnMind really helps organizations to become more data informed um, as they drive their mental health agendas and well-being agendas. Uh, yeah, that, that makes sense because I can imagine otherwise, you know, they might in the past have done a, you know, employee satisfaction survey once in a, you know, once in a while or something and, you know, half people might not have filled it out or whatever, but, but yeah, this, the, with Unmind, it gives them 
access to all to an aggregated anonymized um, set of all of the data from everyone that's using it over a you know a quite a large period of time, which is way way more insightful. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Cool. And what um, dealing with the pandemic specifically has there been any shift in what um, employees using Unmind are concerned about? Have have you seen any trends? What, what, what I know you released recently your report around sixty that says sixty five percent of employers are concerned about the impacts of COVID on negatively impacting their business, but via mental health issues through their employees. So, what what have you seen in in that regard? Yeah, so if, again, coming back to that whole personal idea of mental health, you think about the impact of uh, the health pandemic on biological parts of someone's life or the physical parts of someone's life. They're really profound. You know, it's, it's limited our ability to go out and exercise. It's limited our ability to move as much and therefore it's limited our ability to sleep as well. Right. Um, our diets have changed because we're eating in different places at different times. Sure. Um, if, you, if you look at um, our psychological life, we're under constant threat. We've lost control of our environment. These are things which are known to be predictors of stress and burnout, etc. If you look at our social life, we've lost the ability to meet people in person. Uh, our finances have changed. Our, either we might be on furlough, we might have lost our jobs. Um, we've, our loved ones might be ill or unwell. So basically, the, the, that whole person model of understanding mental health, it's under enormous pressure and threat. So mm. un, unsurprisingly, the prevalence of mental ill health uh, has increased in, in, in groups within society. Um, people are not sleeping as well. Typical things you might expect to see. There are some also more positive trends, such as the sense of connection in the, in the, when the first uh, kind of when the pandemic first hit, increased on the online index, which I think is fascinating. People felt that sense of connection to one another. Yeah, I certainly on a personal level felt that. We're in this together, exactly. Yeah. Um, but following the, the data has been very interesting. Certainly, from an uptake perspective and engagement perspective, we really noticed that as well, as you would expect. Yeah, cool. And um, when you when you started the business five, six years ago, five years ago, what were the biggest kind of pushbacks or obstacles that you found when you were going out talking to employers about what you were trying to do or what you were doing? And, and, and how have that and how has that changed to now? So I know it must be a very yeah. different environment now. I think if I'm honest, the biggest surprise isn't, or, or the biggest, when I look back on that period, my, my main memory is, or my main feeling about it is surprised that so many organizations were so willing to engage so quickly. Okay. Um, it's that way around really than the other wow. way around. But, but pushback we experienced included things like, you know, our workforce don't do this, or we're already covered because we have an EAP, or there's no budget. Those are the kind of typical things that we might see. Now, I think digital preventative healthcare has gone from a nice-to-have novelty to a need-to-have an essential component of any decent well-being strategy. Yeah, it seems that way. I mean, the, the uptake of, of your service you know, in the US and the UK and Australia would, would speak to that, but I also know that that you know, even more traditional health plans now seem to have some kind of mental health component in them and within workplaces. So yeah, it's, it seems like the market's definitely moved. When you look at the service provision across um, the US, the UK and, and Australia, are there differences in, in how workplaces view these topics across those, those different markets? Is there, I mean, I don't, they're, they're quite different in terms of healthcare provision and healthcare services you know, at their core. So what kind of differences are there in terms of viewing what you do? 
I think um, I think there are differences, and I think the US is maybe a couple of years behind when it comes to prevention, mm. um, and organisations are more still in the reactive mindset than the preventative mindset. Mm-hmm. But that is definitely changing. I remember going to a, um, a mental health workplace conference uh, four years ago, and all of the presentations were on things, fascinating things, but things like the use of ketamine and treatment resistant yeah. depression. Um, and that was where the narrative was at. Fast forward to today, and that same conference is really all focused on prevention. And okay. we're seeing that trickle down into the workplace. But, but the US has a very different model of purchasing um, benefits, um, the, the different ethos around the responsibility of the employer to the employee, mm-hmm. obviously a very different relationship to the notion of healthcare. Yes. Um, and that informs how the US as a market operates. Um, but we see all of the right trends because I think there were two very significant macro trends going on on this topic at the moment. The first is that um, obviously the prevalence of mental ill health is increasing as we've discussed. The second macro trend though, which is more positive, is that the stigma that has long held this topic back is lifting. Yeah. And people are now more able and willing to speak about mental health in a ways that we've not been able to for a very long time in societies. And that allows a... A, a more accepting environment to kind of plant the seed about the importance of prevention. Yeah, and I would imagine within a workplace, it, the, that that kind of more openness is really important to drive the engagement with the product and service. I think that's you right. You don't want people to feel like they need to go and hide and use the app. You know, you want people to assume to be able to, oh, you know, how have you, were you on the unmind thing? today have you seen that thing on it yeah i just did this series i'm doing it on mindfulness you know in the workplace why don't you check it out i think it's really useful sort of thing i think that's right and and, and we've seen one over this period particularly we've seen ceos of some of our biggest companies do webinars with me or do or speak publicly to their to their organization about oh, cool. what they're doing on the online platform isn't that cool that's I mean, really that, cool that's really yeah, cool a, a generation ago the idea of getting a CEO to publicly talk about their mental health to their no. employees, that, that wouldn't have happened. No, never happening. So things are changing. That's cool. And did they, and do, do you, you believe that they actually did do the, do, they do use the app? You know that kind of thing. They do, it's not just a, a showpiece. They are actually engaging with it sort of thing. Oh, I absolutely think they're engaging in it and, and engaging in um, the notion of looking after themselves because they recognize by doing so they will, ultimately be better to their company yeah they'll, they'll, they'll be more valuable to their company and more that va- their their staff will be performing more i guess more efficiently because they'll want to be there and they'll actually want to work for the person that they're working for because they think the person they're working for is you know nice or helpful or you know more aware and more conscious of their well-being absolutely go back to the dental thing again like it's right. like can you imagine Maybe. as an organization if you found out that all your employees weren't brushing their teeth yeah that would be quite surprising wouldn't it i would be surprised i'd be surprised i'd be a bit alarmed yeah um and and i think we moved forward in the workplace towards gyms or towards the idea that people exercise many people now expect to shower in the workplace they'll run to the workplace or they'll cycle to the workplace or organizations that do challenges where you count your number of steps because we really want people to be looking after their physical health Mm. now what we're seeing is this third wave um of as the organization saying and we also really want you to prioritize looking after your minds because they are critical 
If, if you really think about organizations, the benefit they get from encouraging their employees to be proactive about their mental health, they get a better reputation because of their, the way they're looking after their people. They have a better culture because their people Yeah, because everyone's happy. And exactly. And then as a result, <laughs> they'll have the competitive advantage. It's a total yeah. no-brainer. Yeah, yeah. It's really important that we... Uh, we demonstrate the value that uh, prevention can bring to the workplace, but I don't think oh, there's anyone that doesn't intuitively get it as well. Yeah. Um, and so, okay, I think we've got time for a couple more questions. So one question is um, you mentioned right at the beginning of the show, a word that I'm not sure our listeners necessarily would have understood, but presenteeism, absenteeism, I think everyone understands, but what exactly is presenteeism? Well, the presenteeism is being present in the workplace with a problem. Okay. I, I spoke to a good friend of mine uh, recently uh, who really high-flying person going through a house move at the moment. And he mm-hmm. said, I can hardly concentrate on my work because I'm so focused on the house move. Yeah. That's a great example of being present at work okay. physically, but not actually being able to work because you're thinking about something else. It's the same principle. If you're, if you're coming into work, but you're burnt out, or you're coming into work, but you've got crippling anxiety. It's right. going to impact on your ability to perform in that workplace, irrespective of whether you're physically there or, I mean, in, the, in today's world, digitally there. Sure. But you're not really there in person. You want your people to be able to come in and be super focused and engaged yeah. it's basically like presenteeism results in disengagement despite physically being there and i imagine in certain that you know i know you work with ba and, and a number of other people but in certain roles being that presenteeism could be actually quite dangerous to yourself depending upon what you're actually doing you that's know? definitely true yeah that's it that's definitely true um, I mean, it, it results on all your decisions yeah because it because it, 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 it prevents you from thinking clearly you know yeah. and, um, so then the, the, the next question I have is um, you mentioned it also a little bit, which was w- when someone is using the app or if someone uses the app and it, it appears that they need more help, more down the diagnostic pathway, potentially, how, how does that surface within the app and how do you sort of um, look after that person and, and make sure they kind of get to where they need to get to? How, how does that get, that get dealt with? So based on your scores, if your if your unmind index scores are elevated in a particular area that indicates that you might get value from additional support, the, the, the platform will automatically say, look, this score is low. You might find it might be a case we say, look, you might find this content useful to you, but also you might find a useful resource in, in this. And then you can link through to that page. It ultimately then becomes the individual's choice okay. as to whether they choose to do that, because Again, the last thing an employee wants is to think that by touching the online platform, they might accidentally press a button that then alerts some higher power that they need support. So it's got to be, do you know what I mean? It's got to be the choice of the individual to want to access that care. But also that's the reality of healthcare. You You know, there's old jokes like how many therapists does it take to change a light bulb? And the answer is it depends if the light bulb wants to be changed. You know, you've got to need the person to want the change in order for that to be effective. And if they want the change, they need to reach out. And I I can imagine, you know, thinking about it from an employee's perspective, again, if the if the platform becomes too sort of pushy, in a sense, that that's going to sort of move people away from it, I would. That's right. Suspect. Um, So what is um, what's next for Unmind in the next 12, 24 months? I'm incredibly excited about what we're doing. Ultimately, okay. yeah, for us, the, 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 the vision of the company is a world where mental health is universally understood, nurtured, and celebrated. And every day, it's that idea that gets us out of bed in the morning and gets us into work. The team is growing 
fast at the moment so more and more brilliant minds coming in to help us build the platform in an ever more sophisticated way so we're putting a huge amount of investment into the complexity of the platform into the user experience into the content into the science and expanding our teams to reach ever more people with the client success team working more closely with organizations to mm. amplify the message out with our marketing teams and with ultimately our our growth teams as well reaching more and more clients so in every area of the business we're expanding and we have okay. a, um, a kind of an ambitious 18 months ahead. That's good. And it, it, will there be more countries on the plan or will it be about scaling in the US, the UK and Australia where you already kind of have a, 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 a solid base? Well, the platform is live in 115 countries, um, but wow. currently in, in English. So we'll be expanding to, to be in ever more countries and in regional languages as well. Wow, 115 countries. So that means that when is that because you're working with global companies that's right. Employees everywhere, effectively, then they can access right. it that way. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So, and okay, that's, I, I think that would be fantastic. That is quite a lot of work, though, to translate it into all of those, those languages. But I think that that's uh, it. I think it won't be all of those languages. We're, you okay. know, we're one, at the, one at a time. But it's, <laughs> uh, it's an, <laughs> that's right. It's an incredibly exciting thing to be able to ensure that people get the right care at the right time for their mental health and really driving that preventative message that prevention is better than cure. And we as a generation um, have an opportunity as innovators in healthcare to transform how people relate to the topic of mental health. And it is, like you say, a huge amount of work. It's a big task ahead of us. Good. Well, I think on that note, Nick, I want to say thanks a lot for coming on the show and telling us all about Unmind. I think what you're doing is is fantastic and it seems like you are you know, on a rocket ship, but it's, it's doing something that's extremely valuable for, for us all. Um, and, you know, I think that the, the companies that are using your service, using Unmind service, their employees are very lucky to have access to that. So, you know, I wish you all the best um, as you add languages and add countries and add services. So, yeah, thanks a lot for coming on the show. And um, thanks to everyone for listening. Thank you so much, Steve. It's been great talking uh, to a kindred spirit on the journey and uh, hearing about what you're doing as well. So thank you so much. No problem. Have a good day. Thank you. Salty hair.